Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We'll read the first nine verses, Acts chapter 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, for the voice said unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat or drink. Let us pause for just a moment of prayer. Eternal Father, we would pray that the words that we have read We'll have a message for every person this morning. For anyone who is not saved to be the time of decision. For those of us who are to be a time of renewal of our time of decisions. Lord, we continue to pray for our young people and for their leaders as they return from their trip. Give them a safe journey. We thank you for tremendous work that is being done by our young people and by our leaders. We're so thankful that they have the privilege of making this trip as a reward for many long hours of labor and study and worship and fellowship. Take, Lord, now the message and use it for the glory of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. I want to title this morning's message, The Damascus Experience. You've heard many sermons preached about Paul's conversion, and I've preached a number of them myself over the years. I want us to look at this particular experience again. Paul is the type, or was, the type individual that was never neutral. We, if we had him in today's society, we would call him a revolutionary. He would be the person out on the front lines picketing, carrying banners, making speeches on the steps of the state capitol or in Washington, meeting with the president or the governor and various other leaders and pushing hard for his belief. 
he was very much convinced that what he thought was right. He believed in God, but he did not at all believe that this person that they have called Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. He could not accept that and believe that Jesus was really blaspheming the name of God and that this following that he had gathered needed to be stamped out at whatever cost in order to preserve the dignity and the, the image of God. Years later, he acknowledged that he had made a drastic error in doing this very thing. But at the time he believed it, over in the 26th chapter of the book of Acts, we find him before uh, Agrippa. And as he uh, gave his testimony before Agrippa, he acknowledged how he had done things and had made a change. And I want to read a portion of that, beginning at the ninth verse of the 26th chapter here in Acts. When Paul responded to Agrippa, and this is a portion of it, he said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I show up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Notice all those things that he now confesses that he had done. He was mad at Christians to the point that it did not bother him to arrest them and put them in jail and have them executed. And when they were executed, he cheered on the executor. He gave his voice in support, he said, of what was being done. He pursued them in every synagogue where he could find somebody. He went after them. And he made them, he made them blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. He made them recant that they had ever been Christian. He would force them to stand before their fellow Christians and say, I repent that I ever accepted Jesus Christ. This is the, the meaning of what he, was intent, what he was making them do. He really was up in arms against Christian people. I wonder if in today's world, and even in our own little body here, if a Paul would come in, or Saul as he was at that time, to our congregation and force us under penalty of beatings and imprisonment and potential death to recant that we were Christian, what our attitude would be. As a matter of fact, I even wonder what we would have done had the same thing happened to us that happened to Little Baptist Church. Uh, last, what was it, last weekend when somebody came in and, and robbed the congregation at gunpoint? Did you know that happened? They were, my goodness, was that where? Where was it? Philippi, that's right, it was in Philippi. 
But if we do, if we are forced against our will to, to recant that we really believe in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said that this thing would happen. Matter of fact, back in the 16th chapter of John, in the second verse, we find Jesus telling his disciples that the day would come when they would be persecuted. They would be accused of blasphemy. And that those who would persecute them would believe sincerely that they were doing God a service. All believed that he was doing God a service. Now I want us to look at this episode of Paul a little bit and see what we can find about him. We find him now on his way to Damascus because he had heard that there was a group of Christian people in Damascus. And he got a letter from the high priest giving him the authority to go up there, put them in chains, and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And so he's on his way. But on the way, he has an experience that was extraordinary. A light shined down out of heaven, and a voice spoke to him. He never had that experience before. And Paul becomes immediately converted. He now knows that the very person that he has been adamant against is in fact the Son of God and is now speaking to him. He describes how in, in Philippians how that he was very zealous and he did everything he possibly could for what he believed. We have to admire a person like that who is so firm in their belief that they will do whatever is necessary to advance their belief. I doubt that many of us are of that caliber. A rich young ruler came to Jesus on one occasion and said to him, What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, you know the, the, the law. You know the commandments. You're supposed to keep them. And he began to, to give him the list of the commandments. And the young man stopped him before he got very far and gave him the list. And he said, All of these I have kept from my youth up. Not many of us could boast of that fact. But the young man responded by saying, What lack I yet? He knew that something was lacking. Now, nobody fools me. When they try to convince themselves and me or you that all you've got to do to be saved is keep the commandments. And yet there are multitudes of people who advocate that. Be good and moral and upright and honest and just and go to church. And that's all that's necessary. And God will surely accept you into heaven. Deep down in the heart of anybody who says that is an unrest. And he is trying to find something to hang his faith on. 
and he is being adamant like Paul, and he is persecuting the very one that he is rejecting as his Savior because he sees it another way. He wants to hang something on his actions, upon his church membership, upon some other peg that he might find and say, this is what is required. And Paul was one who believed the way to God was to serve him by persecuting the Son of God. He would not accept his name. All of Paul's fasting, all of his praying, all of his synagogue attendance, all of his being a part of the Sanhedrin, that Supreme Court, all the other things that he did still left in his heart and soul an unrest. When a person is uh, troubled enough, he will work harder against acknowledging the truth. So that's what Paul did. He got angrier and more vicious. He put ferocious attacks upon the church because he had an unrest in his soul. That's why he was doing it. Here he is, face to face now with the Son of God on the road to Damascus. There is a moment of salvation. There is a point in time when a person is lost now is saved. There is that point. A transfer from one to the other instantaneously. But before one gets to that point of salvation, oftentimes there are lots of influences that go into one's life. One of the great influences in Paul's life was the stoning of Stephen. The church was young. It was weak, it was poor, but, and it was being persecuted, most particularly by Paul. But it was powerful in that they had the love of God and the person of Jesus Christ in their midst and in their hearts that gave them the strength to oppose the persecution. They joined themselves together in bands and they sold their possessions and gave them into a common treasury that everybody could, could uh, get from that treasury as their needs were. They were people who were not afraid to go out on the streets and witness for Jesus Christ. They acknowledged their faith and were not ashamed of it. One of those people was Stephen, who was a deacon in the church. Now, the responsibility of the deacons were to look after the orphans and the widows. And that they did. But Stephen was one who was not ashamed of what he believed, and he stood firm on it. And he was capable of doing miracles, and he did a lot of things amongst the people, and the word spread about this Stephen, and people began to look at him, and whatever a person starts doing about the Lord, you can expect that person to be persecuted pretty strongly, and so Stephen was being 
ridiculed and persecuted. And in the sixth chapter of Acts, in the eighth verse, and I want to begin to read there, because I want you to notice this passage of Scripture. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And there arose certain of the synagogue, people within the organized religious body, which is called the Synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians. In other words, there were certain people of, of these nationalities within the synagogue uh, that disputed with Stephen. Verse 10, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. He outwitted them. He was smarter than them. The spirit that spake through him was very strong, and they could not... Uh, Oppose his arguments. Verse 11. And then they subordinated, that is, they subpoenaed men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. A person whose heart and mind is not right with God will endeavor to stir up other people to get them in cooperation with them because they want to point fingers at somebody else instead of to themselves. This is what was happening. They stirred up the people and the elders and scribes and they caught him and brought him, that is Stephen, before the Sanhedrin. Verse 13. And what did they do? They set up false witnesses. They had people who would testify that he did things that he did not do and said things that he had not said. This, uh, verse 13, they set up witnesses. This man, they said, ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. They did not give one iota of evidence as to what he said that was wrong. They simply accused him of blaspheming the church and the word of God. Oh, that gets everybody all in an uproar. What did he say in verse 14? We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. All that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Uh, we'll stop there. Blasphemy was the thing that Jesus did that got him crucified. Blasphemy is the thing that Stephen did that got him stoned. That is, they said they did. They said. Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus. They had caught her in the exact act of adultery and brought her before him and said, Now the law of Moses says that this woman ought to be stoned. What do you say? And he didn't say anything for a little while. Matter of fact, he said very little. Except he wrote in the sand there with his finger. Nobody knows exactly what he wrote. But when he got done, he stood up and he said to the group, He that is without sin, you cast the first stone. I think we need to be careful 
how strongly we protest until we are sure of our ground. There was not one person standing before Jesus on that day that could cast the first stone. So they dropped their stones and left because they saw that they were as guilty in other areas as this woman was guilty in her adultery. And that Jesus recognized and had certainly taught well that there is not one sin except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that cannot be forgiven. All sin is sin in God's sight. And whether it is adultery or murder, is no difference in God's eyes than the sins of lying or stealing or cheating or being deceptive or anything else you want to mention. Sin is sin in its total concept. And all men and women are guilty of sin. No one person can stand and ridicule another because to do so is to ridicule himself for he has committed like or similar sin. Here is this group of people standing before Jesus and saying, this woman ought to be put to death. And Jesus is saying, then, if you have no sin in your life, you go ahead and do it. Not one of them could. Stephen is a man who was standing before this crowd, innocent of the charges that he had made, for everything he'd said had been honest and true and according to the, the word of the Lord, and yet they accused him of blasphemy. This is what uh, Paul was accusing the Christians of, was blasphemy. He must have been thinking about this episode with the stoning of Stephen as he stood there on the sidelines as a young man. They took off their coats and threw them down at his feet and he guarded their clothes while they cast the stones. One who supports an activity is as guilty of those who actually commit the activity. And so he is as guilty as they. He must have been wondering in his mind, is it possible that I'm wrong? What was there about this man Stephen that would cause him to die for what he believed? Must have been going through his mind. He may have thought, am I willing to die for the same reasons? And suddenly as he thought about Stephen and the influences of his life, something began to happen. He was being drawn to a point of decision. Now there is that point of decision, as we've already made note of. But we need to understand that there are the influences of people and circumstances all through our lives that finally bring us to that point. We certainly are not just faced with the gospel of Christ and at a moment's notice make a decision, uh, usually. There is a build-up and an influence through Sunday school teaching and through preaching and through the music and all the things that go on until we have been brought to a point where we come face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had had the experience now of being brought up in the synagogue, trained in the scriptures, knew them well, but he had seen a new dimension in scriptures he never seen before, and that was a man who, who stood there and allowed people to stone him to death, and at the same time was calling upon God to forgive him. What kind of a man would do that? Where did he get the, the
the desire to make that kind of prayer. No man had ever prayed that prayer before that he'd ever heard of. He may not have known that Jesus prayed the same thing on the cross. And the voice said to Paul, Why do you persecute me? Notice he did not say, Why do you persecute my followers? Nor why do you persecute my church? But why do you persecute me? Listen, there's a message here for us. Whenever you or I do an act that is ungodly to somebody of our fellow brethren, we are doing it to Jesus Christ. We need to realize as we do to each other, so are we doing to our Savior. He does not separate himself from his followers. The persecution that Paul was giving to the church was the persecution of Jesus Christ. Paul had not yet learned that message that he learned at this day. Jesus had already said, Inasmuch as you do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, do it unto me, Matthew 25, 40. You know, I think we cross that over. As if there is a real separation between the church and our Lord. As if there is a real separation between an individual believer and our Savior. And there is none. We become one with Him in confessing our sins and accepting Him as our Savior. And we go through the waters of baptism to give a visible demonstration of that oneness. That's what Rebecca will do this morning. We call this conversion a change, a turning around, an arrest. When one ceases to be what he used to be and becomes new, when no one no longer follows the world but begins to follow Christ, Paul said, I have become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The things that I once hated, I now love. And what before I loved, I now hate. And so it is no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. You should not see me standing here. It should be Christ that is seen. I should not see you in the pew. It should be Christ that I see there. For there is no separation between the Savior and the saved. We're one in Him. There comes that time of personal confrontation with Jesus Christ. If you haven't had it, I would pray this morning it would be your time of Damascus experience when you come face to face with Jesus Christ. And the words of the Lord spoken to Paul are, Why do you persecute me? And Paul cried out, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, and that's exactly what he was doing. He was kicking against a decision. And oftentimes, numbers of people resist so hard that they kick against the pricks. And all that does is give damage to the one doing the kicking. 
life if you had not done so to Jesus Christ. We are ashamed of that decision, for we, many of us, have made it. And step out of that pew this morning and come on down here and saying, I'm going to quit kicking against the bricks. Bow your knees, humble your heart, just like Paul did on the Damascus Road, and receive the Lord Jesus as you say. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.